We are going to find our strength. We're going to discover our tools. And we're going to build our place. And that is my prayer for you as you study through this series. Is that you find your strength. You find the gifts within you that God has given you. Because not only has he given you those gifts for you to make it in this world. He's given it to you to make this world and more importantly his church a better place. And no one can say well God has not given me any gifts because the Holy Spirit gives everybody gifts. We have to discover our tools. And then once we discover them we need to build our place. And so as we saw in that video just a moment ago, we saw that that we are Jesus' hands and we are Jesus' feet. And even this church right here in Homeland Park has been responsible for work that has been done all across our nation and all across overseas and even right here in our communities. So whether it be boots on the ground, us doing this, or it be that we give towards missions offerings that go to fund missionaries across the world that are doing Jesus' work. Our church is a part of that. And so it is my prayer that when I say our church, that I'm not talking about 20% of the people to do 80% of the stuff. It's about everybody here. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody in a church that is attending a church anywhere today were to discover their gifts and use them for God's glory? It would be revival in this world. But... As we see that and we review that motto, I want us to turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we are starting our second part of the spiritual gifts passage that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians. And if you don't mind, let's read verses 12 through 17. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. He says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body and one spirit. Yes, we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand... That does not make it any less a part of the body. If an ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would you make it any less part of that body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? The human body is a great illustration for the church. Aren't you grateful that you don't smell with your eyes or you don't feel with your nose and that uh, you don't talk out of your ears? I mean, God has got a specific plan. He, he built our bodies in such a specific way. I was talking to somebody last night who's studying something in the medical field and they were talking about, I just can't believe the more I study about the human body and the way God has made it, the more I see that there is a design and, and a, a meaning. Behind our design. And so just as that is true physically. It is true spiritually as well. And as we read this passage. We see that the body is a great illustration for the church. Because Paul could not have given a better word picture. For the church. For God's church. When I say God's church. I don't mean just Homeland Park. I mean the church as in all those who worship the Lord. 
I mean, really, a body is something that everybody has. Everybody in here, everybody's got somebody, right? Everybody's got a body at least. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be here. And then uh, there are things that our bodies can do that are great while others are cool but not very necessary. God has made us wonderfully complex in each part. And he has a purpose in every part in our body except the appendix. I don't understand what the deal is with the appendix. You can, how many of y'all have had your appendix removed? Those of you that are... Yeah, you, I don't think I have. Have I had mine removed, Donna? No? Well, watch it this week. It's probably coming out. But uh, I guess they call it an appendix because it's something extra. God threw it in there for a reason. I don't know. But the thing is, is that all, all kidding aside, every part of our body is used for a specific purpose. That is why the medical field is so huge is because God has gifted these men and women with the ability to take care of the body that he created. But we need to fight the desire to only look out for number one. In today's world, we are compartmentalized. Don't get me wrong, we're here and we're worshiping, but the thing is, is that our, our knee-jerk reaction is to make sure that we're going to be okay, that we get what we need, that our family gets what they need, and that, that all of our little ducks are going to be in a row. And we have to be careful because when Paul is talking about building the body of Christ, it's not about me. And for you, it's not about you, it's about us. It's about what we can do for God. Now, what causes people to look out for number one? Usually, maybe it's the way that they were raised. Maybe the environment they were raised in or where they didn't have anybody. Or they had to fight for themselves to get whatever they want. Maybe they had brothers or sisters that tormented them while they were growing up. And, you know, they had to learn how to, to make sure they marked their food so nobody would take it. I don't know. I mean, all these different reasons. But it may be past wounds. It may be just somebody has a selfish outlook. Maybe you're on a me rant. I remember when I turned 40, I, I never knew, I'm, I'd heard the term midlife crisis, but uh, I, I never thought that I would become so self-absorbed. And, and for me, it was 40. For you, it might be 50. For some of you, maybe it, it hasn't hit you yet. But we, we all come to that point where we realize, oh my goodness, there's probably more years behind me than there are ahead of me. And it causes us to think, and if we're not careful, it'll get us selfish. And sometimes when we have no concern for others, that causes us to look out for number one. But there is no room for looking out for number one in the body of Christ. And also, as we read this passage, I'm going to tell you that racism, we don't have a problem with racism today, do we? Oh, come on. Yes, we have a problem with racism. As, as soon as the world's sin entered the world, there was a problem with racism. And let me show you why. We, we are not lone wolves. We are not supposed to be alone. God created us to be with other people. And let me show you the definition of racism. Racism is, it is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Now, when I say that racism is a real thing, we obviously know because of the world we live in, of the community we live in, of, of the, the, the environment that we are raised in, and we all come from different environments, but I want you to know that racism is not a new thing. Racism has been around, as, as I said a moment ago, since the very moment of sin, and when this passage was written, when Paul was writing this passage, racism was a big deal. 
Now it wasn't black and white or black and brown or red and yellow and all of these different shades of color we have. Folks, we are all shades of one color. God made Adam and Eve and he made them and they're his image. He makes us our image. That's a beautiful thing. When I look out in this crowd, I don't see different skin colors. I don't see different economic backgrounds. I see the face of God. And to say anything regardless to that is against scripture and against his plan. But the reason there was racism there is because Paul was addressing the Jews... Those God's chosen people who now all of a sudden these Gentiles, God has decided to bless them and the Jews aren't happy about it. So there is racism over religion. The Gentiles looked down on the Jews because the Jews thought they were better than everybody else. The slave owners looked down on their slaves. And why does the world have to involve us being better than someone else? We learned that in middle school, didn't we? Where we, we thought if we teared somebody, if we tore somebody else down, that we would feel better about ourselves. How did that work out for us? Not too good. That's why bullying is an epidemic. I've talked with people before, especially those that are older, and they say, well, we've always had bullying in our school. Yeah, but it's different nowadays. I would venture to get any one of you to walk through a hall of a middle school today. Or a high school today to where something is started and then it goes online and you cannot get away from it. And it's all because one kid and one group of kids are inferior and they're ganging up on somebody that's not. If you've been bullied, you know what I'm talking about. But if you have bullied, you also know what I'm talking about. The reason people bully is because they fear. They are scared that you are going to take something that they have, whether it be popularity, person, whatever it may be. But racism is a result of selfish pride and more importantly, an improper view of the gospel. Jesus didn't die just to save white middle to upper class men. I got news for you. Jesus is not white. Jesus is not black. Jesus is not Chinese. Jesus was Jewish. He looked like a Jewish man. The Bible says that there was there was nothing that really caused him to to stick out among anybody else. He was a carpenter. He was muscular. He had calloused hands. He was a man's man. But there was nothing that made him stand out. These pictures that we see of Jesus being a white Anglo-Saxon, emaciated male on the cross could be further from the truth. If they truly put a picture of Jesus on the cross, it would not allow it to be posted because it would be so graphic. And so awful. And so terrible. Why? Because of your sin. And my sin. And Jesus puts racism to rest. Because we think too highly of ourselves and our abilities sometimes. And that's what was happening in the church here with those who had certain gifts. Why do we even compare ourselves to someone else? (laughs) I tell you what. I, I got it bad today, but I'm not as bad as that person over there. Have you seen the person sitting in the pew behind me? Have you seen the person to my left or the person to my right? They act like they all they got it all together, but I know the truth. And so whether it be in a pew, or whether it be in a cubicle, or whether it be in a neighborhood, or whether it be online, we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else. Why are we doing that? Because we feel like if we can keep up with the Joneses, or if we can can have an edge on somebody else, we'll feel better than about ourselves. But but I'll go ahead and tell you, if if, if I see someone out and they look 
different than I, and I can think to myself, boy, I'm glad I'm not that person. I have just insulted that person, and I have committed a sin, and cheapened my own self-image. That's where racism comes from. It's not just black and white. That is a big deal in America. But racism is any time we put ourselves above someone else. And it's the same thing is true in the church as well. Because, folks, i got news for you. The only person that we are to compare ourselves to as a believer is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was a Jew. But take his example. As a Jew, he reached out to all. And not as a king, but as a suffering servant. It's not about what you get. It's not about what you have. It's about how you can serve one another. Our politicians, somewhere along the way, forgot that. They forgot that they were there to serve the people that put them in the office. And you know why? Because they came from churches that forgot that they were about to serve the community they were in and not serve their own selfish ambition. The church can't sit around and complain about how bad the world is. It's when God has created us to change the world. A person who is concerned with themselves will never be a bodybuilder. You will never build the body of Christ. And you will never know the true blessings of the gift God has given you. I can't tell you the number of times we've taken kids on mission trips. And I'll never forget the first time this little junior high girl came up to me. And she was so proud because this was the first time she had ever used a hammer to drive a nail into a piece of wood. She was so excited about that. And you know what? The next time we had a mission trip, you know who was the first person to sign up? That little girl learned how to drive a hammer and do a board. She had a gift she didn't know about until she discovered it. Now we can learn a lesson from that little girl. Is that we might not know exactly what we got, but when we do it, we know that that's something that we can use to glorify the Lord. And to not do that is disobedience. Because at the end of that mission trip, when you see that person that you have just fixed their house, and they are weeping because they didn't have the money to afford it because the hurricane tore everything away and their insurance company wasn't going to replace it, and here are a bunch of... Snot-nosed kids and a youth pastor came in with a couple of hammers and nails and a, and a broom and, and some people that actually knew what they were doing. And everything was restored. They thought they were the ones with the blessings. But no, it was us. And so when you find your gifts and use them for the Lord, you will feel the blessing of that. We are united by the Holy Spirit. He says in this passage, we all share the same Spirit. This means that each of us Receive the Holy Spirit. Here's the cool thing. Is that right now, I know my friend Philip Sears down at Freedom Center. I'm sure they're just now maybe getting cranked up. They're probably on their second song. And I'll tell you what, when he, I love to hear that man preach. Uh, he is a dear friend and he's become somewhat of a mentor to me uh, during my time here in Holman Park. And I know that there are other churches in this community right now that are worshiping. There are other churches across the highway that are worshiping right now. All these people are worshiping. And when someone comes to know Jesus Christ, they get the Holy Spirit. It's not an option. It's not an add-on. It's not a if you want it, you receive the Holy Spirit 
when Jesus Christ comes into your life. Because my friend, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. That's a package deal. We don't lose our individual identities when we become a Christian. But our, our things that separate us individually when they come together becomes the glue that binds us together. I'll tell you what, all believers, all believers are baptized by one Holy Spirit into one body of believers. The church. In, in any church, this one included, not everybody's going to get along with everybody all the time. I've heard people say before that, you know, that person is a mess, but they're my family, so what am I going to do? You know, I, that person drives me crazy, but, but we're related by blood, and I'm going to love them either way. Folks, that's true with the church. Not all of us are always going to get along. We're not always going to agree on the same thing. We're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And at the end of the day, prayerfully, if Jesus Christ is, is the, the thing that unifies us, we will agree on that. But at some point, we got to realize that the body of Christ, we're not going to be perfect all the time, but we have to work it out because we are family. Just as your brothers and sisters and cousins and first cousins and second cousins and all of these things are bonded by blood and DNA, we are bonded by the, body, by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what holds us together. And quit acting like it's not. Especially in today's sensitive climate. Those things that make us different are not meant to separate us, but to give proof that we must come together to do more for God's kingdom. I was talking with our uh, young adults in our Bible study this morning about, you know, the fact that a lot of times when we're married, I know Donna and I, thank God we are different from each other. Because if we were just like each other, we would be in each other's throats all the time. And those of you know what I'm talking about. Is that you marry this person, hopefully, that is different from you so that when y'all come together, there is more that you can do together than you could have done by yourself. That's the way God works. That's the way God created it from the very beginning. Those things that make us different are not meant to separate us, but to give proof that we must come together. And my friend, if building the body of Christ is no concern to you, I really am skeptical of the faith you claim to possess. The second part of the passage we see in verses 18 to 26. We see that bodybuilders are placed by God. Did you realize that you're not here today by an accident? It's not because of the music or the great, um, great church or because of the preaching or you know somebody. Those things help. But you are here because you were drawn here today by the Holy Spirit. Because He knows that whatever you've got... We need to build His glory. And we see, starting in verse 18, He says this, He says, But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each other just where He wants it. How strange a body would be if He had only one part. If there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But in verse 22, he says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. You wouldn't think much about your big toe until you don't have it anymore. 
You wouldn't think much about a finger until you don't have it anymore. You wouldn't think much about a lot of these small insignificant parts until you lose something. In fact, some parts of the body seem weakest and are least important are actually the most necessary. Verse 23, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put together the body. God has put the body together such that extra honor and care be given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And the one part is honored and all the parts are glad. Folks, do not assume that you have no gifts. I, I, you know, as I was preparing this message, I could hear somebody say, sitting in their pew saying, well, preacher, I ain't got any gifts. Have you ever asked? Have you ever tried? Is that pew cushion got the imprint of your backside in it? And it's well formed because you've been sitting in it for years? Hey, that's fine. That's your pew. That's your seat. You enjoy it. But if God has gifted you to do something, whether you are 8 or 80, you may not be able to hit the streets. You may not even be able to stand up when a song is being sung. But by God, you can pray. you got a telephone. You can talk. you got influence. You've got a trade. You've got skills. Don't tell God what you don't have. How arrogant is it for you and me? To tell God what we can and cannot do. Oh God, I can't sing in the choir. I just don't have a voice. Maybe you don't, but come let it well. It's a joyful noise. And somehow it works out. Oh, I can't do anything. I don't have time to do anything. Well, one day you'll have no time left at all. And what do you want to be judged for? So it's one thing to assume you don't have gifts, but it's another thing to be proud of what you have, too proud. You see, that was the problem in this this church that Paul was writing to at Corinth. Those that were teaching were mighty proud about it. And there were many people that wanted to have that same type of prestige. Now I tell you, y'all want prestige? Come on and be be a pastor up here. It's full of prestige. You see it? I'm being a little sarcastic. Don't get me wrong. I am grateful and humble every moment I am in front of you. To speak about a holy God. It's not something I take lightly. And to see people in this church at Corinth using that for their own platform. And I I don't have to name names. You can use your own discretion. But there are people out here that are using pulpits as platforms To promote themselves. Shame on them. But there is no difference between that person. And that person says. This is my church. And I'm going to do it my way. Because of my gifts. And what I can do. I've been baking that apple pie for 40 years. Ain't nobody else going to win the prize except me. The reason I said that is. If you remember a while back. 
when we did the autopsy of a deceased church, one church split over two ladies arguing about whose pie was the best at the covered dish judgment. You can't make that stuff up. It's funny, but it's tragic. Big and small, out in the front or hidden in the back, all of our gifts work together to build the body of Christ. There is just as much prominence for me standing on this pulpit as the person that is watching our beautiful children back in the nursery. Or that person that comes up during the week and stuffs pew pockets that you pull out and draw on stuff during the sermon. Or that person that is coming through and they see something on the floor and they pick it up because they're proud of what the church looks like. Or the person that is singing. The person that is teaching. The person that says hello to you in the door. The person that's up in the crow's nest up there. It all works together, folks. It all works together. And then the last thing we see is that in verses 27 through 31, you need to play your position. And I might not ought to bring up football right now. <laughs> Tigers, we squeaked it by. I almost lost. Dogs, good job. Chickens, I'm sorry. Hey, there's always next week, right? And we can agree on our teams and we can, we, we can kind of have some fun about that. Thank God it's football season, especially college football season. But here's the thing. What would happen if those players came out and said, I'm not playing today? What if everybody on the depth chart of the quarterback position said, we're not playing today? You had your starter quarterback, your second quarterback, your third quarterback, and even the water boy didn't want to dress up and play as a quarterback. How could you have a football game without a quarterback? How can you have a church, a full body of Christ, when some of its parts refuse to play their position? Everyone should play their position. Let's read verses 27 through 31. He says this, he says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, then those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we have the power to do miracles? Do we have, do we all have the gift of healing? Do we have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a new way of life that is best for all. And we'll discuss that next week. But folks, what I want to show you on the screen is this, is that what you can take from that passage is that everyone should play their position God has given them. Because it is our privilege, but it's also our responsibility. My friend, I'm going to tell you what, and I'm trying to save you a world of hurt. If you've ever read the parable of the talents that Jesus talks about where God, where where the master gave three different servants, Three different amounts of talents according to their abilities. Two of them 
worked the talents they were given. One of them buried it in the ground. And that man that buried it in the ground, he had a lot to answer for. And my friend, when you get before the Lord at the great judgment, and when we are judged on what we have done and not done for God, you can't say, well, that preacher didn't tell me. That preacher was preaching out of this other section. He didn't really ever tell me. No, it's not going to go like that. Don't get me wrong. I will be held accountable for what I do and not do as a shepherd. I know that. I know I have a higher standard. And that is part of the blessing that I have. But my friend, you can't say, well, I don't have it and I'm not going to try it. And I'm just going to run from it. Because God knows what he gave you. (laughs) And God knows what you use and what you're not. I don't want you to mistake humility for laziness. Let me say that one more time. I don't want you to mistake humility for laziness. And what I mean by that, when you say, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough to do that. I'll leave that to those that are more gifted. I would hate to take the position of someone that is really good at that. Or, I'm too old to do that. I'm too young to do that. I've done that. Bought the t-shirt. Whatever it may be. Don't clothe that in this Christianese language and say, well, I've just, I've done my duty. I'm going to let somebody else take up the mantle. I don't know about you, but when a cow or a, a horse is put in the barn for its last rest, you know what the next step is, right? Don't you ever tell God you are done. Don't you ever refuse a prompting of the Holy Spirit when He calls you to do something. Because for every time you refuse, you will be held accountable to that decision. And so will I. I am not preaching at you to try to beat you over the head with the Bible. I'm trying to encourage you. Remember that little middle school girl that found joy in driving a nail on a board? I want you to find the joy that God has put within you if you just discover it and use it, regardless of your age. Paul is telling the church, do not think you have nothing to offer or that you do not or will not make a difference. Because folks... You are here today because someone else made a difference in your life. Pray for your assignment. Ask God to show you what your gift is. If you don't know, there are a million and one spiritual gifts tests that we can take you through to figure it out. Online or in person. Play your assignment. Know the plays. And most importantly, don't try to tell other people how to play their spiritual gift when you're not using yours. I'm sure Dabo had lots of people in their armchairs telling them what he ought to do during that game last night. I'm sure there were plenty of people in the stands that knew exactly what that team should have done to turn that around. But they were in the stands. Don't don't oversee from the pew and tell other people what they ought to do when you're not doing yourself. Be the body of Christ. And I'll, I'll close with this. Let me show you this picture. 
Now you are the body of Christ. And each of us, each one of you, is a part of it. Can you imagine what would happen in Holman Park Baptist Church if everyone used their gifts to build the body? Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for this word. And dear Heavenly Father, this message is not meant to beat people over the head, but to encourage them to dig deep within themselves and find what you have gifted them with. And if they don't want to use it at this church, that's fine. Go to another church. But use these gifts that they have been given to honor you and to give them a fullness of life. The best tool that we have in our workshop are the ones that we use. And dear Heavenly Father, we are your tools. May you use us. So this time of decision is just a time for people to make a commitment to you today, Lord, to to make sure that they are using their gifts to glorify you. Maybe if someone doesn't know what they're gifted at, to make a commitment to find out what that is. Or maybe somebody that's not a Christian that says, I don't have any gifts because I do not have the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, that means you do not have Jesus Christ. And if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you can make that decision today. It's about time we start living our lives not on what divides us, but what brings us together. And that is your Savior and the gifts you have given us. If there is someone that would like to come forward and pray or accept Christ or just come to the altar or pray where they're at, join this church, be baptized, whatever it may be. This time of decision is for you to respond. God, may you work in a way that only you can. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?